Hello, welcome to the show. My name's Zuki Stewart from Playfield. And I'm Lucy Taylor from Make Work Play. Together, we are Why Play Works, the podcast that speaks to people radically reshaping the idea of work as play. Today, I'm speaking with Stacey Ann Morris to explore community, play, learning and belonging. Stacey Ann is a learning experience designer, facilitator and educator who creates playful, inclusive and meaningful connections related to personal and career development in work, school and community settings. She designs experiences that educate and inspire humans to imagine new possibilities. Stacey Ann brings over 15 years of interdisciplinary experience in designing learning experience for youth and adults in various sectors, federal government, higher education and non-profit organisations. She is a graduate of Harvard University, a Lego Serious Play facilitator and has designed curriculum, programmes and workshops at several universities and colleges. Stacey Ann is also the co-founder of Built Out Loud, a personal development programme for black women entrepreneurs and creatives in Ottawa. In this episode, we talk about the process of writing a book on play as a form of radical rest for black women, the power of imagination and planning your joy. So Stacey Ann, let's kick off with what does the word play mean to you? Yes. This question is great because when I think of the word play, there's one word that comes to mind and it's the word freedom. You know, as adults, um, play taps into our our natural state of being where it reconnects us to our our inner child or what I like to call joy. So there's freedom there because it gives us an opportunity to let our, our minds wander, to be in the flow, to connect with people. Uh, to move our bodies, to laugh, to test, to experiment. And really play connects us to to ourselves. And that is so freeing. So over the past few years, play has allowed me to heal too. It, it has encouraged me to lean into a fuller expression of my personality and, and connect with communities and just try new things. And when would you say you last felt playful? So I have been doing play experiments for this past year, 2022. My word of the year is play. So I've been doing play experiments. Um, So one month I build Lego sets for 30 days. Another month I dance for five minutes per day, like improvise. But the last play experiment that I've embarked on is hula hooping. Um. Or should I say like relearning how to hula hoop? It's amazing to pick up something from your childhood and try it in your adult body. I think when I just picked up the hula hoop, okay, yeah, I know how to do this. This is, I, I did this when I was a kid. Um, very humbling experience because I sucked at it. Um, <laughs> so I had a friend come over and she also sucked at it as well. So it felt really nice to... <laughs> To do it together. But what we did is we found a YouTube video uh, from 2011 by this gentleman called Mr. Hoop Smiles. And it's a music video of him rapping lyrics and teaching how to hula hoop. And I kid you not, my friend and I were up till 2 a.m. on a weeknight 
trying to hula hoop with Mr. Hoop Smiles. And it was a lot of fun. Like cheesy lyrics, right? Like cheesy lyrics, nice beat. To this day, I, I feel like I kind of remember like the lyrics. Like, okay, yeah, here's a quick review. Place one foot in front of you. Rock back and forth is what you do. You got to wind your hoop, spin, start to move. Like that's, <laughs> that, so that, that was it, right? Um, so much fun, so much joy. Uh, yeah, so that, 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 <laughs> that's the moment that, that comes up to, to mind. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That is, oh, I want to have the whole episode of just you rapping Mr. Hoop Smiles that I just, I was getting my groove on when you're doing that. Amazing. Um, so I almost don't want to take away from that question, move away from it, but kind of we'll talk more about how you use play in, in the variety of work you do, but at a kind of conceptual level, how do you think play and work relate to each other? Well, play and work are are interconnected. Um, and the reason why is, is play is fundamental to the human experience. So if we value humans, we should value how they spend time at work. Um, I think for some people, when they hear the word play, they think of like ping pong tables, maybe cheesy icebreaker games, um, I love icebreakers, but it's more than that, right? It's it's a it's a mindset. Play's a mindset. So, you know, when you play, you discover, you problem solve, you collaborate, you innovate. And there are a lot of wicked problems and challenges in the workplace. And having a playful mindset can ins- like help in solving these problems. Um, also, like embracing play in the workplace can improve, you know, productivity and results. Um, I'm really passionate about like employee well-being, which is, I think, over the past few years, people have been thinking about how they spend their time at work. Um, and then finally, I would say that play in the workplace fosters what we call like the three C's, right? One, curiosity, right? So when you have a problem, like asking like what if questions or what would happen? Uh, so that's the first C. The second C is community. So the being able to play is very important to sustaining relationships. Uh, it's contagious. And when you have experiences, meaningful experiences with folks, it's memorable. And the last C is courage. I know as I get older, it takes courage to try things. <laughs> right? So play allows you to, to do that, to do that in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're, they're definitely connected. I love that point around courage. I often think about how it takes, you know, bravery on the part of a leader or 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 any employee to think I want to bring a more playful way of doing this to to our workplace. That takes real bravery. Um, but I think I like the word courage more. But it's you know at the heart of it, I completely agree. It, it's it's not an easy thing to do for some, for many of us. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And that's where like role modeling helps, right? Yeah. Now you've said that the common thread from all the beautiful hats you wear in your life is how can we design spaces to help adults integrate more imagination in designing their lives and I would just love to unpack that and hear some stories and some results that you've seen when using this kind of play imagination with the various kind of communities you support whether that's students staff yourself the black women you support just tell us more about the stories and impact you've seen from using play and imagination in your work. 
you know, imagination is, is such a superpower. Being able to visualize beyond your common days is mm-hmm. pretty awesome. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, so one of the hats that I have is working with students in higher ed. And I help them think about their next steps after they graduate. And the most common question I hear from students in the career office is, what am I going to do next? <laughs> I have many options or I don't have many options, what, what, whichever one. And so one playful method that I've used with students is role-playing an imaginary future, right? Your life is your biggest project. So why don't you try to role-play? Go back to when you were a child, when many of us did that. Um, so for example, one student, uh, she want, was thinking of being a human rights lawyer, not quite sure if that's kind of what she wants to do. And so I challenged her to go a week having the mindset lens of a human rights lawyer. When you're talking with, I mean, you should probably tell folks that you're pretending to be this. Um, but what this does, it allows you to experiment at low risk, right? Because obviously you're going to have to go to law school after this. So is this something that you want to do? Um, and then also get some self-talk there uh, and, and and then talking to people. So she did this for a week and she debated with her friends, her family members. She read articles. She attended webinars. She talked to a few human rights uh, lawyers, um, what we call curious conversations. And what was interesting, one thing that she brought up was that it really brought her, her values of fairness like why is it that she wants to be a human rights lawyer before she's like well you know my my parents want me to do this but when she was role-playing putting on that hat she's like wait yeah i actually do enjoy this because the the importance of fairness is really important to me so that's one aspect of of just role-playing and trying to imagine uh futures the second hat that i've that I, that I have is I, I run recesses for, uh, for staff and faculty at the university. And so if you think about recesses, most of us, <laughs> the last time we have had recesses was probably in primary school. <laughs> um, but there's a, there's a purpose for that, right? It gives you a mental break, uh, um, meeting new people. And so the recesses I've designed like energizers and creative exercises um, and one recess I had where I asked folks to reimagine their homes as a playground. So <laughs> didn't tell folks, you know, what they were signing up for. Um, so, you know, reimagine your couch as a slide, right? Or your staircase as a play structure. Putting folks in breakout rooms to meet new playmates. Um, one activity that we had where they had to build a toy using random things in their house. So after these sessions, people, you know, there's humor, people were laughing, people met new folks. Um, I think with the pandemic, it's been hard for people to collide with each other. Um, and then just kind of feeling like, okay, that that was fun and I can continue uh, with my day. And, and also these energizers you can do at home with your, you know, your other playmates in your house. Um, so that's that, <laughs> that was one uh, example of designing happenstance moments for for folks. And then the last uh, example, the the last hat is um, the Build Out Loud program, which I co-founded with uh, 
my friend Marin, and it's a program for Black women entrepreneurs and intrapreneurs. And we have de- designed uh, play workshops. And one play workshop that has really stuck with folks is unpacking play strategies. So one question we ask is, how did you like to play as a child? Go back in time and remember, how did you like to play as a child? And so that give them more of a like reflective time there. So for some folks, they love to collect, curate, remix, investigate. Chances are the way that you played as a child is the same way that you like to play now. And so in that session, folks leave with a self-care menu, right? How are they going to integrate those play strategies throughout the week? It'd be really small and really big. And we had a couple of women who actually created like play spaces in their homes. Thank you for sharing those. And I'd love to hear when people are showing up to these spaces. So maybe we can take the example of the recesses you run for staff and faculty. Do they know what to expect? Do you find the same people come back several times or do you have new people who are, are they unsure? Are they up for it? Kind of how much do you let them know what you're going to do with that? Because I think, again, we have barriers or expectations or discomfort around these ideas. So what do you tell people before they turn up and how do they arrive and how do you see the different ways of engaging? Yeah, there's a balance, right? Because I do like the idea of having something of an element of surprise. Um, but at the same time, I like to design from a universal, it's called universal design for learning, right? Making sure that you design an event or an experience of with all learners. So, for example, there are some activities where you you might have to move. So I ensure that I include that in the pre-mail. There's going to be activity where there might be movement. And actually now there's folks who are in the office. So you can't be running around <laughs> in the office versus at home. You might feel more, you know, liberty to, to run around. Um, and so, yeah, so when it comes to accessibility needs, that's something that I, I keep in mind. Um, and then just letting them know, like, there are some creative exercises and to lean into the discomfort, right? To lean into the discomfort. And so when I do start off my presentation or uh, recess, I, I start off with the research. I work in academia. So what is the research behind play? <laughs> uh, and yes, to lean into the discomfort, like you might feel awkward. It might feel weird. Uh, you have a choice. You don't have to do everything. And then what I've noticed is that, yes, there are the same people that show up, but then there are folks that tell their buddies, hey, I did this event, you know, come. Yeah. So it's been cool to to, to see that. Mm, I love that point around acknowledging that it might feel uncomfortable. It might not, you might not enjoy elements of this because we don't enjoy everything we ever try. And, and that's fine. And it's yeah, I think being kind of heads up that some bits you're going to like, some bits you're not. And if you feel uncomfortable or silly or like you're not sure what you're doing, you are not doing anything wrong. And it doesn't mean this isn't for you. It doesn't mean any of that. You can lean into that and, and see it out. So I love that acknowledgement. Fantastic. Now, you're currently writing a book on black women and the power of play. And you've said to me before that it's an act of resistance against cultural stereotypes that you've experienced as a black woman. Now, I feel like even in an entire episode, you wouldn't get to, to do that topic justice. But I would love to hear you speak more about this and understand how does our own sense of culture impact 
how we approach play. Oh, yes. Oh, I could talk about this all day. Please um, go. <laughs> so our sense of culture and identity impacts how we approach and conceptualize play. So, you know, in my 30s, as a Black woman, I have been doing a lot of unlearning. <laughs> unlearning and, um, and healing, as I mentioned earlier. So many Black women, um, and so I, I mentioned I run a, a, a personal development program for Black women in the city, and they say the same thing, that there's this pressure to act or to fit into this strong Black woman stereotype projecting as strong, self-sacrificing, and free of emotion. And this is something that we've seen our mothers, our aunties, our grandmothers um, portray. And so what does that mean? You know, a strong Black woman can, can take on anything, could probably do it well. They're resilient. They're taking care of stuff at work, outside of work. Uh, and so what happens is this burnout <laughs> burnout this is what happens um having an intense drive to succeed and feeling an obligation to help others and not asking for help those can be very harmful for our health and um yeah i can go on about a lot of research on that and so knowing this we have to mitigate these risks and what I like to say, you need to plan your joy. The way that you plan, you know, your work stuff, family stuff, you need to plan your joy. And so for Black women, uh, creativity is a, a, is a form of rest. It's actually an act of resistance in 2022. It takes courage to say yes to rest and play. Um, in a culture where exhaustion is seen as a status symbol. How are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. I'm busy, right? Like, okay, that person's busy. They must be really important. And to me, exhaustion is is an injury, right? Exhaustion can like stunts one's imagination. So most Black women and men growing up, they would hear this a lot. You got to work twice as hard to get as half as far. And we have been conditioned to attach our identity to work and production while navigating, you know, microaggressions and racism, et cetera. And then the other thing is we've also been conditioned that we need to earn our rest. You need to earn your leisure or I'll rest when I die. And that's, that shouldn't be the case for anybody, actually. Um, so that's why I say play is a really powerful act of resistance against the cultural stereotype, because joy should be non-negotiable. Everyone deserves joy. This idea of connecting with your inner child is also an interesting thing. Um, the New York Times had a great piece a few years ago on um, the adultification of young Black children. And the piece does a really great job of explaining how for a lot of Black children, childhood um, is taken away, whether it's by media, school systems, 
uh, law enforcement. And so when those kids become adults, it's interesting to see where one needs to be healed. And I'm, I'm actually going through this process as well through, through therapy, right? Um, and I think that's just the beauty of reintroducing play to folks that may not have played as much um, when, they were, when they were younger. And so that's why I feel like it's so, so important for, for folks to play. And interestingly enough, I, I don't like to go from a, a lack mindset because I, I, I do find that, like I'm coming from a Jamaican background and our culture is very playful. Music, arts, color. Like it's something that is innate in us. Um, and then when I watch TikToks <laughs> and I see people on there, I'm like, man, this is this is why it's so addicting because it's it's cool to see people create and be playful. Um, so it's just tapping back into something that we naturally have and that perhaps something happened in our life that we're like, okay, a little pause, but it's okay to to come back to it. You've said the the kind of healing power of play and it, it being a a tool and a method of healing. If you're comfortable talking about it, I'd love to hear yes. more just about how you find it healing and what what brought that up for you. I've realized that in life I've been, I've always been like an outcome driven person. I think a lot of folks are, right? Go to university, get a job. Yeah, 100%. With a pension. <laughs> <laughs> Objective markers of success. Exactly. Yeah. It's like all these metrics. And what happens is you don't get to enjoy the journey. So what play has done for me, it is it allows me to enjoy the journey with no outcomes. And that's very hard for me. <laughs> <clears throat> that, that's exactly what, how, where I struggle with it too. I, I, I rationally and emotionally buy into and believe about the magic of, of play and exploring new, new experiences, trying things that you suck at, as you say, trusting the process. And I, I, I get that. And some days I'm really kind of good at doing that. And other days I really struggle. I really, I feel a lot of guilt, you know, around why am I doing this when I've got all this work to be getting on with, these people need me. And yeah, and, I, and I'm not good at that. And it's the amount of unlearning to use the word use earlier is, is real. It is. It is so real. It is so real. And it's, and get this could probably be another episode, like at what point in life do we stop experimenting, right? Like when we're kids, it's like, yeah, let's, let's do this, let's do that. And then we go into school and then there's like standardized testings and all of that and outcome-based. But it is healing because there's a lot of reflection points for me. Um, one that, you know, when I was younger, I used to do like weird things. I used to talk to trees. Yeah, I used to talk to trees. And I always thought that was really weird. And over the pandemic, doing a lot of like forest walks, and I'm like, oh, this is why. This is this is soothing for me. This is healing for me. This is not weird. Like this is just, you know, what my soul needs. And I've, I've, I've always had this when I was a kid. No one else was doing it. No, no, well, I don't know. Maybe there's a listener out there <laughs> who used to talk to trees. But that was just the way that I liked to play. Some people had imaginary friends. I had trees. 
and can kind of continuing on from this um back to the book do you have a title yet or is that still a work in progress when i'm referring it's still to it? work in progress yeah. but i'm the word playbook is there in there okay. awesome and what would you love to make happen with that book like who do you want it to find its way to or what do you want it to do or what's your are you kind of putting it out there and it's going to take its own beautiful journey in the universe or are you like i want it to to do this like how you know, do you feel about it i love this question that was the first question I asked myself. Because when it comes to books, right, like people write books obviously for folks to read it. For some people, it's like, oh, I want to be a bestseller. I'm writing this book for my mom, right? And I mean, obviously, I would love for other people to read it. But I, I, I would love for her to digest this material the way that she would like to digest it. But I've, I've seen so much, you know, what I was talking about earlier about like the strong black woman. Um, but also she gave me so much as well. So it is, it's for my mom. It's for my mom and for, for, for women trying to climb up that ladder, whatever that ladder is, um, and just reminding themselves like, hey, you deserve ease. You deserve joy. You don't need to earn it. It's your birthright. I love that. What's your mother's name? Sharon. Oh, Sharon. <laughs> lucky you. It's a beautiful gift coming your way. I love that. So how do you see the role and importance of embedding imagination and play to disrupt the status quo? How we're doing things now? We've, we've touched on it so far, but tell us more about that and the power it has to disrupt the status quo. It allows us to, to take a pause and rethink systems. As I mentioned earlier, I think we're focused so much on the outcomes, which is important. You know, it's, it's really important. And sometimes there's time constraints. But imagination and play allows us to encourage wild ideas, defer judgment, asking how might we questions. And I think the status quo is founded on predictability. Because as humans, we love that. (laughs) (laughs) Most humans, right? Yes. Yeah. Play provides an opportunity for us to try something new and see where it goes. And that's why it's different. Because status quo is like, we've done this. It's worked. Maybe it hasn't worked. We don't have the time. We don't have the budget. Uh, But play and imagination... uh, provide some doors to to possibilities yeah the predictability point is so true i think the illusion of control i think that we like to have that we think we can control things and we can predict things and you i think this is sometimes where the the fear around play or the discomfort around play especially when you start thinking about bringing it into the workplace which is you know, a great prize, but also quite a big hurdle to get over sometimes thinking about how can we integrate play in our work. It's often this idea of, well, what happens if we play more? Does anyone know? Can anyone control that? And no, we can't. And I think there's something that is quite deeply uncomfortable about that, that if we were to play more, what might happen? <laughs> and, and, and and who controls that? So I think that's often where the fear stems. And what do you think the conditions for play are. So what needs to be in place for play to happen, especially in, again, the kind of 
group context, a professional group context where you are thinking, okay, you know, I'm, I'm at work or I'm around colleagues. I am thinking about how I'm coming across. I don't feel completely free to use your word earlier about play being synonymous with freedom for you. So what do you think needs to be in place in these, in these contexts for play to happen and flourish? So as a learning experience designer, I think this is an important question because when you're designing experiences and you can quantify experiences in, in whatever, it could be a meeting, it could be a retreat, it could be a discussion, but you need to be intentional with the conditions. How should you design experiences where people feel safe? Is one important point. And then more importantly for me, I want it to feel like an appetizer. <laughs> where people will want to do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the first thing, I think the first condition is, is is mindset. I have learned for adults, and it's quite strange, but it's 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 true from my experience that you need to grant permission to be playful in different spheres. You can be playful at work. Um, so in my sessions, I've I've used affirmations because I think there's power, you know, in words. So, you know, play is a gift to share with others. My creativity helps me connect to the world. I like to start off um, with that and, and tell people if, they, if they, they feel comfortable just to say it to themselves because that's kind of healing that, that inner, inner child. And then reminding adults um, that the impulse to play is innate. It is in us and it can be developed and the last thing with mindset is that you are probably doing playful things already. The way you cook, the way you commute to work, the way you dress, you are probably doing playful things. So how can you, you know, do it more in work? So that's the first, the mindset. Number two, uh, environment. There needs to be an environment where people can feel safe to experiment in the workplace. And when I think of play or creativity, there has to be like a judgment-free zone. And we typically hear companies say they want innovative ideas or they value creativity, their values, their mission statement, whatever. But are they designing spaces for folks to innovate, to experiment and to play? And more importantly, are you acknowledging and rewarding folks for this process? Yes, rather than just the output of great ideas yes. that are relevant and game-changing, you know, because that's not going to be every idea or even many of the ideas. Exactly. But the process of getting stuff, coming out with stupid ideas that aren't relevant and falling flat on your face, trying stuff, presenting, iterating, evaluating. Yes, the process, not the outcome. Are you rewarding for that? Exactly. Uh, and then the last point, so I talked about mindset, number one, uh, two, environment, and then three, choice. I think I talked about this earlier. So I, I think play is a spectrum. I, and that's what I love about it. It's like the way that I play, the way that I love to play may be different from the way that you like to play. Play can be loud. Play can be quiet. It can be individual. It can be the group. It can be indoors. It can be outdoors. It can be talking to a tree or playing with Lego bricks. It could be different for everyone, and that is the beautiful thing. So you want to create conditions where people have choice. This provides like a universal design approach to it, especially for those who haven't played in a while. And like I was going back to that appetizer feeling of, okay, 
this feels yucky, but oh, I know I I do like sketching or I like playing with post-it notes. There needs to be a fine balance though, because I think sometimes it's nice to get people out of their, their comfort zone, but providing choice is also a great opportunity to, to design conditions for that. And you mentioned the second factor around environments and the question of whether organizations are creating spaces to innovate and play and engage in creative ideas and just try things. Do you think with your learning experience, design expertise, does that need to be carved out as either a a physical space you can go to or probably increasingly in this world, a virtual space, but carving out intentionally either time or, or, or a space in some way for this to happen rather than hoping it just is interwoven in your everyday, every meeting, how you're showing up. Do you think it, it can be done in that kind of, oh, at, at any point we can innovate and be creative? Or do you think it does need these parameters and these boundaries where it's like, no, in this space and in this time, we do this? I think there's there, there's room for both. There's room for both. From a universal design approach, you want to design for all learners. There are folks who, if they walk into a room and they have not, they have no idea <laughs> what's going on, they may run out. At the same time, you need to have a facilitator that could, you know, you're not going to put just... I mean, it'd be an interesting experiment. I feel like it'd be like a um, a great experience just to, have, just to have folks in a room without no um, outcomes. But from my experience, you know, when you're designing, you know, a gathering or a meeting, it's nice to have some outcomes. Like, you know, by the end of this session, people should either feel or be able to do something. And so you're going to create activities that really support those outcomes, but also have space for magic, have room for magic, just in case things go, you know, sideways. That's fun. That's okay. As a facilitator, you should be comfortable with that as well. Again, the kind of unknown and unpredictability, that always that edge. Yeah. You can't control what's going to happen. So you've already mentioned a few lovely kind of practices that you use, um, but I'd love to hear if you could share either an imagination or a playful practice that you have used in your work with these various different communities that uh, our listener could try themselves. So I'm a big fan, and you probably know this one, the yes and. It comes from improv, right? The yes and philosophy. So you can use this in a meeting or you can use this as just, you know, an icebreaker, but it's kind of nice to use it in a meeting. So typically what happens in meetings is the introverts don't pipe up because they're afraid that folks will dismiss their ideas or there's that one person that keeps on talking. They're afraid of, you know, hearing any of these statements. Great idea, but this is not going to work. Great idea, but we have no budget for this. Great idea, but it won't be approved. So having a yes and, and I call it like a mini meeting, you could do it like for 15 minutes within a meeting. Come with the challenge and ask people to build upon each other's ideas. Always say yes. 
and build, <laughs> build, 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 rather than pointing out the possible risks or failures. I love this because there's no constraints. And it's also nice because it includes humor. Humor is a big piece of, of, of play. And there might be aha moments, right? There might be aha moments. If you don't want to do it work-related, you could just start a story. This weekend, I did this and then just build build upon it. So that's a really good one. Uh, I know you only asked for one, but there's... Always here for more. <laughs> Always here for more. <laughs> Um, I think a simple exercise, especially for those who are back in the office, is like moving things around, like movement, like moving chairs around. It's funny how when you're not sitting in your usual spot, what different perspectives you will gain. Um, So that's a very simple, you know, simple exercise. And then finally, I'm a big fan of making your learning visible. Whatever's in your head, whatever is in your head, visible to others. So um, providing items, you can have a meeting where you have, like, I love aluminum, aluminum foil because you can just do so much with it. Uh, Lego bricks, Play-Doh. Um, I think sometimes we think that the brain does all the work, which is, you know, does a lot of the work. But it's funny how... When you start building things, your hands and your brain will connect. You start building like with Play-Doh. Like, I have no idea what this is. But then, oh, this this is looking like a dog with three legs. Okay, cool. Let's go with this, right? Um, so providing items where you might ask for, like you might have a challenge and ask folks to build something, a solution using the items in front of you. So making your learning visible. Uh, is a really great idea as well. I love those three fantastic tips and kind of what I love about these is that they are, anyone can try them. That's like what we're trying to do is kind of, you don't need to be an expert facilitator. You don't need to be in a playful environment already. You can take these, just, I love the, 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 uh, the foil because you're so right. You can make any kinds of shapes, little 3D structures and the connection between, yeah, your hands and your mind and how they can speak to each other. I love that. So thank you. We're at the end of our lovely conversation. Is there anything I haven't asked you or invited out from you in our chat today that you'd like to share? I've been thinking about the word play a lot. Good. Because it's, the, it's my word of the year and I'm writing a book. <laughs> and sometimes I wonder, like, are folks, when they hear the word play, Many folks think of child, like child play. But I'm like, I wonder if we swap the word play with engagement. <laughs> like in the workplace, like what would, like, would that be different? Would that be different? I'd be personally, I love the word play. I don't think we should swap it. But when I think about employee engagement, that's, I think of play. I completely agree. The amount of conversations I've had in the context of Playfield, myself and Pauline, we'll we'll talk about play and the person will say, oh, I love what you're talking about. Just just call it something different. Just call it something that we already are talking about and we're already comfortable with and, we're, you know, it's already in our discourse about work. Just call it something different. And, you know, of course, it's tempting sometimes, but 
I'm kind of quite obstinate about it because I love the word play, like you said. I'm like, no, no, we 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 need to bring this this word back into our lives, and we need to confront all the discomfort that's around it and try and dismantle that. But I'm kind of a bit loud and proud about it, I guess. So, but it's interesting that I've had similar thoughts of so many things we already do and talk about and feel is important. You could say that's play, but we just have the the the, the word itself. It has some way to go to being embraced i think but i'm i'm up for the challenge we need more more of you because it's 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 so important it's so important to i'm gonna say fight that battle but it, it's important to have play um you know in the workplace outside the workplace and i think creating a space or a time at work whether it's 10 minutes 30 minutes a day to get folks out of their routine is magical. It's it's great. You should. Um, and so play allows you to do that, right? How can I have 30 minutes, 15 minutes of an element of surprise at work, right? Like I was saying earlier, maybe change the space, move the chairs, maybe add items, right? Maybe start a meeting asking folks to, you know, do show and tell. I, when I was younger, I loved show and tell. Maybe, yeah, that's an assignment. Ask folks to bring an item from their home that means a lot to them or a hobby that they're they're doing. A lot of folks have developed hobbies over the past couple of years, right? So just those little things doesn't have to be too, too, too big, too big. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So Lucy, what came up for you when you listened to my lovely conversation with Stacey Ann. Oh, it was such a lovely conversation. That was like the main thing. I was like, oh, just couldn't tear myself away. Um, I think I really like the idea of play as freedom and as a way of reconnecting and integrating our inner child. And that idea that as play, when we play as adults, you know, there will be a thread that leads us back to our play as children. And how how interesting it is to like try something from your childhood in your adult body. Absolutely. I love the sense of intention she brought to this idea of play, whether it was, you know, play being her word of the year or then choosing a form of play for the month where she was like, I'm just going to explore this form of play and talking about how terrible she was at her chosen form of play, the hula hooping as an example. But I just loved seeing that beginner's mindset really at the fore with her and she was just so intentional about bringing it into her life I also you know this idea of play and rest as resistance and a birthright particularly for black people and black women where strength you know is what is expected and exhaustion is a status symbol and you know how she talked about the power of play as a healing tool and and the kind of courage that is required to do that and to go against the grain. And it made me think like, you know, as facilitators, we have such a responsibility to be aware of these things and aware of, you know, people's history with play and mindful of that when we're creating and holding spaces. Couldn't agree more. I love how she evolved the conversation. It felt beyond its sort of 
surface level benefits which are plentiful and brilliant but into its deeper ability to heal and she was talking about you know play being a form of rest to use your word that's that's our birthright we don't need to earn it and this idea of play as a form of resistance I think that is she was tapping into this kind of huge power of play that sits beneath the surface level view when we think about play being you know it's a form of banter it's a form of just seeing people you know visually laughing and joking and using humor like that is a kind of play but there's this amazing invisible power that sits beneath it which we miss out on when we have a bit of a one-dimensional view of what playfulness must look like um this this idea of a kind of it's a form of resistance under under that surface level under the water um i felt like yeah we needed more than more than the time we had to unpack yeah absolutely and you know and when thinking about creating safe spaces I thought what she was saying about the importance of signaling was so important you know like letting people know what to expect if people you know have been you know adultified as children um signaling to people what it will mean like acknowledging that it might be uncomfortable and and holding that and being with that and also drawing on research so you know that people can feel cognitively comfortable what are the benefits of this what's it going to help us do Um, and being really intentional to use your word um, with the conditions for how you create spaces for play when I was listening back on our conversation I had this feeling that she had two feet were in two worlds it was like one foot was really grounded in today and so much of her work was kind of relevant in the here and the now in the present whether it's you know designing those recess spaces for her colleagues helping her students explore kind of big decisions so very relevant and grounded in today but it felt like the other foot was planted in a different world that was made up of this kind of imagination that she talked about and this world of I don't know hope and optimism and just imagining beyond our today and I just felt I don't know that kind of it felt so expansive that she wasn't just living in this kind of conceptual land she was living very much in today and using play today but with this kind of expansive imaginative other land that she was kind of building in her in her mind and I love that that straddling of both both spaces yeah and she said at one point leave space for magic and I was like yeah that's so exciting I also loved her invitation to like plan your joy you know like actually take space for it and plan what you're going to do and when you're going to do it and consciously carve out time for that I think that's really important in a world where you know we're all running so fast and working hard to make conscious space for it and that that theme and that thread of being very conscious and very clear about things I found kept coming up in her in her reflections and the fact that she when I said you know tell me about the book and and, and who you're writing it for and the impact you wanted to have and she just said I'm writing it for my mum I'm writing it for Sharon and there's something about the specificity and the clarity she had of who she was trying to communicate with and what she was trying to say with that work that really touched me and I found that really inspiring just to think yeah, that, that specificity of who she's talking to and what she's trying to do. I, I love that. Yeah, that was amazing. I've got goosebumps. Anything else that came up for you? Talking to trees. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about talking to trees. Let's talk to more trees. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate and review as it really helps us to reach other listeners. 
We're releasing episodes every two weeks, so do hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on more playful inspiration. Don't forget you can find us at www.whyplayworks.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to join our growing community of people united by the idea of play at work, you can sign up to the Playworks Collective on the homepage. If you have any ideas for future episodes, topics you'd like to hear about, guest suggestions, or questions about the work we do with organisations, we would love to hear from you. Your feedback really matters to us, so please drop us a line at hello at whyplayworks.com. We'll be back in a fortnight with a brand new guest, and we hope you'll join us then.